this is One Red Shoe. Whoopee, and welcome back to the podcast for another MotoGP episode. A couple of weeks ago, we sat down with Ian Fearless Foster to revisit our predictions and discuss some of the highs and lows of the 2021 MotoGP season. Unfortunately, our research department had a bit of an off day, so you'll hear me incorrectly claim that Frankie Morbidelli suffered a broken leg and was stuck on the 2018 model Yamaha. Turns out, Frankie was actually sidelined with a knee injury and was hooning around on the 2019 model before taking over from Maverick Vinales on the factory bike. We also discuss a rumour that Davide Brivio is returning to Suzuki. Apparently that's not happening, or at least that's what they're saying for now. But don't worry, just about everything else is 100% accurate and true. And besides, why let facts get in the way of strong opinions and amusing coincidences? Here's the show. So welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, whoopee. <laughs> <laughs> How are you enjoying your newfound podcast fame? Interesting. I didn't think I'd get over about 50, but we got up nearly 300. So. Yeah, we've got, we got quite a few listens uh, all around the world as well, which probably kicks us straight off. We'll, we'll kick straight off with the kiss of death. I've actually tallied the results, and oh, no. we're, we're speaking about our international listeners. We've had quite a few listeners from South Africa, and I'm just wondering whether it might be the Binders trying to figure out what you did to Brad Binder for the start of the season. <laughs> so you've applied the kiss of death to Brad. That was your pick for the world champion. Yeah, I thought he was going to do a lot better than he did. <laughs> he had a bit of a shaky start to the season, but I tallied the results this morning, and... He actually finished sixth yep. in the end. He got up there on 151 points. It was very impressive, uh, especially considering how badly they started the season. The KTM actually came not too bad toward the end there. Yeah, well, the biggest problem was was they changed the tyres, the different tyres they set up, and they had to have the hardest front tyre they could get, and it still didn't work. So after about six or seven races, they changed the frame, <laughs> The chassis and they did a bit better and they sort of got not too bad towards the end of the season but um yeah the Ducati swamped everybody <laughs> yeah toward the end there yeah so we'll run we'll run through your picks your picks were Brad Binder for first Marquez for second and Miller for third yeah I had Jack Miller for first Frankie Morbidelli for second and Joanne Mir for third and I had a quick listen this morning, and we were joking about the possibility of the kiss of death causing Brad Binder to get a broken leg. And ironically, my number two pick, Frankie Morbidelli, actually had a broken leg. Yeah. <laughs> and so, with a little bit of fanfare, the winner of the kiss of death, um, as the more effective kiss of death, was actually me in the end, uh, with a staggering 436 points. Uh, poor Frankie only managed 47 of those points. Uh, well, you scored 474 points with your picks. Yeah, that'd be right. I mean, the big <laughs> thing is, is Marquez broke himself in half the year before and he's still trying to break himself in half. <laughs> well, Marquez did okay. He finished up seventh in the end. And so your finishes were sixth, seventh and fourth yeah. with Jack. And I had Jack for first, so mine were fourth, 17th and third. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Frankie let the side down. And full disclosure, I wasn't aware that poor old Frankie was going to be riding the 2018 bike. Um, I thought they might 
given that the guy finished second in the world championship the year before, I thought Yamaha might front him a 2020 bike, but yeah. uh, 2021 bike, sorry. Um, but no such luck for Frankie. And well, that's a bit strange. A bloke when you know comes second, you would have thought they would have at least updated his bike a bit for him. But nah, Yamaha are a bit funny. They usually have you know one or two riders. I mean. Let's face it, it's all been Valentino for the last 30 years. And now we got Quattararo who's going to be the new man for Yamaha. But I don't think he's going to go so well next year. Yeah, well, we can jump straight into that. Fabio won the World Championship. Yeah. Neither of us tipped him. Um, so maybe we can pick him next year and put the kiss of death on um, poor old <laughs> Fabio. Um, personally, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't, I don't think that Fabio... I mean... It's hard to go on the last two races and the postseason testing, yeah. but he's already got the bottom lip out, so that's not a good sign for a guy that should be full of confidence, you'd think. Yeah, well, he won the title in the first half of the season because everybody was crashing. Jack was upside down in the gravel <laughs> track quite regularly, and uh, the bloke that was running Suzuki left and went to the World Formula One. And now he's going to be back with Suzuki, so they might... Oh, is Brivio coming back? I think so. Oh, wow, that's huge news. Yeah, because I thought I figured that something like that must have been an aspect of it as well, yeah. like with Brivio going to um, leaving the team. Well, there's talk of him coming back, but the thing is Suzuki's such a small team against the might of Honda and Yamaha and Ducati. They're the three big teams, like KTM's putting a bit of a burst in, but... I don't think KTM are going to crack it at all next year. Okay, that's interesting. It's hard to say with KTM. Like They they did seem to come strong at the end of the season. And also, they had injury issues. So they had... um, Oliveira was injured for the last couple of races. It's interesting that you look at like KTM and Aprilia. At certain parts of the season, they were brought up with it, mixing it with them. But then they sort of died again. I think that's the big challenge, isn't it? It's to have that consistency across the whole span of a season. Mm. And when you've got to try and keep your machine balanced and dealing with the tyres for the different tracks and the different conditions, mm. and it that, that does look like it's in Ducati's favour at the moment. They seem to have cracked the code for being fast, not just when there's a gigantic long straightaway, but also when they've got you know, some of the tighter tracks, some of the tracks where Suzuki and Honda have been more traditionally competitive. Yeah, well, they try to stick it up the inside of a Ducati, but it's fairly wide. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was Mir and Miller having a bit of fun uh, throughout the season. Yeah, well... Joanne made the argument, was like, well, my bike's slow, so I've got to centre punch him to get around the corner and overtake him. Mm, yeah, well... I, I don't think Jack saw it that way. <laughs> no, you should have had a punch up on the side of the track. Still, <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, well passed him for seventh or something and got put back to eighth. I mean, it's, it's a nothing type of thing. I might, you know, he come, what, third in the title, um, he did, but I, I think next season's going to be all Ducati. Gonna, they're going to have eight on the track, so it's going to be some fun trying to pass some of them. Yeah, and you've got you know, some of the young guys like Bastianini and Martin that are showing real solid form, good pace. They're going to be tricky to beat yeah. for the other bikes, much less the Ducati bikes. Well, that's it. There's going to be a big problem, I reckon, next year because as long as they don't take points off one another like they did this year, they might just about win one since Casey Stoner. <laughs> 
Which well, is- for me, the moment of the season for Ducati was when Marquez went after Pecco at Aragon and uh, Pecco stood up to the heat and outfoxed him, essentially. Well, basically, but passed him seven times and none of them stuck, so... It was what it was kind of like watching Dovi and Marquez back in the day, yeah. and um, it was interesting to note whether Pecco was going to have the confidence and the focus to be able to withstand the pressure, and he handled it quite well. Yeah, they did. Um, that's probably the turning point for his season. He definitely came out of that race with a lot of confidence. Yeah, and he's come on strong for the rest of the season. All right, he finished second in the title, but. Nobody remembers that person who comes second. <laughs> they only remember the person who come first. Well, we do still we do still remember and love Danny Pedrosa. Yeah, <laughs> Mister Second Place. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. I mean, you go back far enough, even Daryl Beatty managed to come second to Mick Doohan, and yeah, wow, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't remember that. Oh, I got a long memory. I've been <laughs> watching motorbikes since the middle fifties. That shows you how old I am. <laughs> I used to buy all the old Pommy Bob books and look at the bikes. I always wanted the BSA for some ridiculous idea. <laughs> but, uh, and I finished up with a couple of them too, but yeah. So speaking of Australian riders, we had uh, celebrated a world champion, mm-hmm. um, another gardener. Yes. Um, what did you think of Remy's season? Well, he was another one that got all the points early on in the season and then he sort of coasted for a fair bit. His biggest trouble was the other blokes are a midget and he's fairly big. So there's about a six or eight kilometre an hour down the straight difference. So the only way he can get past him was slipstreaming to get past. But he, you know, he, last race all he had to do was putt around in 10th place and won the title. That's all you got to do. I, th- I think Remy showed a lot of maturity throughout the season though. Like he, he's definitely come on under Akio's, um tutelage and definitely grown in confidence and stature and i think you made the observation when we we're talking about this the other night that um where his old man would have gone all out to win the race uh, no, all bets are off he would have gone mr 100 percent as he was called yeah. um remy was a little bit more reserved and had a better handle on the longer term view well that's right i mean he only had to finish what about 12th or 13th to win the title there was no good trying to to win the race and crash and so yeah you sit back and win it it'll be interesting to see how he goes next year in the big boys but if he can crack a top 10 he'll be doing really really well I reckon yeah and hats off to Raul Fernandez as well because you know he had to he did what he had to do he went out to win the race Mm. and he did show throughout the season that he had that ability to put it on the pole win the race yeah a kid in his rookie year, you can't score him too harshly for throwing throwing it down the track a few times. Oh, no. He's going to, I would say, he'll possibly be a world title holder in the big game in four or five years if he doesn't break himself in half. <laughs> and that and that's the biggest problem now is with Marquez writing himself off and double vision and everything, will he come back from that? That's the next question. And without Marquez... Honda are nowhere. So they've got a bit of a problem at Honda. What are they going to do? Well, yeah, it's the, I mean, the postseason test, you know, you can't read too much into it um, straight away. But Nakagami and Espargaro were both pretty quick. Um, Espargaro injured in the last couple of races himself. Yeah. Um, but it's a big omission to not just the last couple of races of the year, but that test for Honda to not have Marquez out there for that test. 
It's yeah, a that's huge be problem. A big, big problem. Yeah, neck of the army tends to lay it into the gravel trap too often. Yeah, I don't know what to think about uh, Knackers, as um, Cal Crutchlow calls him. I, I think, uh, like, he shows pace every now and then, yeah. um, but he hasn't been given the equipment as much as the, as the other guys either. No. But, and b- both of the LCR boys struggled this year, and Alex Marquez had a really good season last year on the Repsol Honda, um, but on the LCR bike, he was nowhere. So Yeah, I don't know what the problem is there with... Um... I think losing your, your number one rider for an entire season of development just leaves you nowhere. And they were already struggling with the front end of the Honda to start with. So, Yes, they have a bit of a problem with the front end. Without Marquez there, they're basically stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> so we want Marquez back and fit and everything. He'll give it a shake next year if he's fit, but... I really hope he is because the two races that he won back to back were imposing. Like mm. it looked ominous for the rest of the field. Yeah, I'd say for the last ten years, or less than ten years, he's been the benchmark. He's probably a cut above the rest of them. But now with his injuries, he's sort of come back in the field a bit. And Ducati's putting more bikes on the track, so. They're all going to struggle to get past all them Ducatis, which it depends on where you qualify too. You know, blokes like Ring qualify in 13th and manages to get up to third. I mean, you'd think if they could qualify in the first couple of rows, they should win it. But well, it's interesting you mention Alex Rins because when I look through the field and think about, you know, because we've had Petrucci's moved on and um, had a couple of those guys moving on that were sort of those fringe dwellers mm. and wondering whether Alex Rins might be the next one in that category like he'd have to be on the bubble you would think his one lap pace is excellent yeah. and like you say he can come from 13th to third but once he gets to third nine times out of ten it's a quick countdown so then he's out in the gravel trap again yes he spends too much time in the gravel trap so but you never know get the bike that suits him they might that's true, that's true, it's a fair point. Like, you don't know how much they're having to override it to get to third place. Well, that thing, they're wearing their tyres out, getting there, and it's like a few years ago when Valentino could have won the title and kicked Marquez off, <laughs> had to start from the back of the field and got up to fourth. All he needed was third and he had another title. And that's because he shot his big mouth off and... <laughs> That's staggering to consider, actually. Uh, Nice segue into Rossi, uh, talking about him actually hanging up the boots at the end of the season. And looking back on it, when when you do the analysis, he had this season where he um, almost beat Nicky Hayden. And then the season that you were speaking about where he realistically should have been able to beat Jorge Lorenzo, but he managed to trip himself up with some weird vendetta against Marquez. Yeah. And, I mean, that's spectacular. That would have been 11 um, world championships. Yeah, there's a lot of luck goes into it, I suppose. I mean, if he hadn't have done it at Phillip Island in the next round and finished up at the back of the grid, well, could have had it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's a top rider, Valentino. It's just that he probably stopped there three years too long. Yeah, difficult to say. Like, I I felt that he was still competitive in 2020. I thought, you know, even like with all the COVID restrictions and everything, I mean, he had COVID at one point, so he missed a couple of races because of that. Uh, he still managed to get a podium. Yeah. Um, there's guys that didn't turn in quite the same results and they still got another year to go around. 
I think the wise thing for him, though, is to not try to be the owner, rider, manager, the whole deal. I think starting off his own team, which he's obviously been keen to jump into, I think he's made the right decision to separate the two things because I think he's going to find out that being the guy that everybody comes to with the questions is actually takes a quite a lot of time and energy. Yeah, can't do everything. I, I wonder what they're going to do with all their flags and hats <laughs> that they had at the last race. <laughs> Well, I, I said to someone about uh, Remy, I said, I hope his friends and family had lots of cameras uh, to capture the moment because I don't think many were looking at Remy as he crossed the line as world champion. I think all eyes immediately turned to watch the Valentino show. Well, that's right. I mean, it'd be no good putting the flag or anything on eBay. There's just too many of them out there <laughs> to flog them off. Oh, well, that's the end of an era for him, so... Look to the future. It's a spectacular achievement. I mean, when they line up the nine bikes and you go through, you know, championship by championship by championship, yeah. it's quite impressive. Oh, yeah, he's top rider. There's no doubt about it. I mean, probably well, early on in his career, he didn't have much opposition. I mean, he'd go past somebody and nobody tried to pass him till Stoner got there. He went past Stoner and Stoner went straight back past, said him. <laughs> Well, I, I did have a little chuckle because they line up the nine bikes and so they've got the uh, the Aprilias and whatnot from the early mm. days and then they've got the Hondas yeah. and then four Yamahas mm. and I couldn't help but picture Casey Stoner riding past on the Ducati and waving. <laughs> hey, Valley, I've got one of these, mate. Yeah, well, that was where Valentino made the mistake. He, another time he shuffled his mouth off when um, Stoner won the title and he was going to Ducati and he was going to really do great things on the Ducati. What do you get? One third in two years? I mean, it's the romance, isn't it? It's um, it, yeah. it must be tempting. And, I mean, Daniel Ricciardo, to sort of change gears a little bit, said the same thing about Ferrari. Yeah. He said, like, I could have done that, you know, Italian origin with the Ricciardo name and jumped yeah. into the Ferrari, but it would have been the wrong move. Yeah. I for mean, him. Yeah, that that's, that's right. I mean, Italian on my Italian bike was going to, hopefully win a title but they didn't so back to Yamaha again so that was what he did he went for Yamaha what did he win four on a Yamaha two on a Honda and I don't know what else he was riding <laughs> back in the early days the bloke I used to like to watch was Caparossi when he was in the 125s that used to be really good racing <laughs> well, you'd be ninth or tenth and you'd go over the Flag at first. Because you'd be way back, strip slam, and then fuel past and you win the race. Well, you can still watch Loris because he does the warm-up lap in the BMW at the start yeah. of the races. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly putting in, though. Slightly different. Yeah. Slightly different vibe. I used to like, I like the 125s. I mean, admittedly, even back in my day, I had a crack at the 50 cc's. Down the straight at Mac Park at <laughs> about 90 k's an hour. Whoopee, that was really flying until the bloke went past on his kidal doing about 120. <laughs> so, so, so speaking of the smaller class, we did mention Pedro Acosta. Did you, what did you think of his season? Yeah, interesting. I don't sort of follow the Moto 3 all that much. I was more interested in Moto 2 and the main one, but to win in any class is very difficult. He's they, a, they, he's, did, they did the works. Like, I mean, they had one, two at one stage, and one, two on the Moto 3, one, two on the Moto 2. 
pity they couldn't have got a one-two in the main game. <laughs> Would have really made me day if Binderad had got up there, but anyway. Well, to bring it full circle, I don't know if you've seen uh, Darren Binder has been promoted up into the yes. MotoGP class. I think that's an interesting thing because a little bit like Jack and Remy, he's one of the bigger guys in the paddock. But he's also notorious for using the other bikes as berms, so it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. Yeah, he's another bloke that's sort of a bit of crash and burn type <laughs> of rider, but yeah, you never know. That's the, that's the thing with motor racing. You just don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. I mean, we, we rewind a couple of years and everyone was scratching their heads at Yamaha and thinking, why have they got this Fabio Quattararo? The guy's never won a championship. He hasn't done anything. Yeah. Of any significant, like of any great note since he was a junior, yeah. and they've stuck him on a MotoGP bike, and everyone's thinking mm, that's a bit of a bit of a gamble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you go way back to say 2000 when Kenny Roberts Jr. won it, and Mighty Mick Dillon had retired, and there wasn't much, you know, two or three Americans were still trying to win it, but yeah, there was sort of a bit of a slack period where he won it. I mean take nothing away from him. You've got to ride the bike to win it and you don't want to crash or anything. But, yeah, different eras sort of have little slack periods where riders that are probably win a title are probably not the best rider out there, but it's the way it goes. And that's when Valentino started too in 2000. I think the thing for me that puts, you know, the Hall of Fame legend status that they've given Valentino Rossi, to me, the thing that justifies that is when you step back and look at his career, okay, there was there were periods of time where there weren't the greatest riders running around of mm. all time. But he's gone from the smallest bike to the 250 to the two-stroke yeah. and won a championship and then that made the jump to the four-stroke and then the whole evolution of that as they changed the you know, engine sizes and they've completely like when guys like stoner rocked up on the scene they totally changed their riding style mm. and yet rossi was able to adapt and to keep adapting oh yeah i think that's you know that's a mark of yeah. that to me qualifies him for a, for the legend status that he has oh yeah he's probably number two in the world Agustin, he's got what 14 championships and he's got nine marcus has got eight and then it sort of dwindles away a bit (laughs) i mean doing did five in a row so it depends on the person i think and how much they want it well Uh, also though i i I think that um, like if you look at jack miller jack's marching to the beat of his own drum as he tends to Mm. but they made the observation that the other three ducatis are all set up the same yeah and jack's got his setup for jack style and there's a suggestion that maybe jack should adapt his style and maybe he's going to get a bit more life out of the tires maybe he gets a bit more track data from peco yep. coming back the other way and you sort of wonder is like that adaptability is what makes guys like rossi endure over time and whether that's something that you know a leaf jack can take out of the book and yeah well the thing is with rossi he could ride in the wet as well as the dry uh, Quattararo hasn't mastered that bit about riding in the wet yet. That's the aspect for me that I found interesting across this, the breadth of the season because they didn't have very many, I can't even think how many they had of actual fully wet races, but every time it rained, like in FP4 and mm-hmm. qualifying, Quattararo was nowhere mm-hmm. and his claim was that the Yamaha didn't work in the wet, yeah. which was intriguing because they had those wet qualifyings toward the end of the season where Morbidelli was competitive on the same bike yep. in the same circumstances yeah. but apparently it was the bike's fault that it wasn't fast yeah. in the wet 
Well, it's quite interesting. You look at Danny Pedrosa. He's a classic. He's leading the race at Reigns. One lap, he's down in 14th place. Now, you go up to the big bikes and they've got all the slipper clutches and they've got all the, the whiz-bang stuff on it. When it rained, when he was on the big bikes, he never faded like he did on the small ones. Interesting, yeah. That's... Yeah, he's, because they've got all the gear on the big bikes, traction control, all the rest of it. So he never faded. But in the, what was it, the 250s that he was riding, from first to bloody last in one lap, basically. I think it's complicated for Fabio as well because the times when it did rain toward the end of the season, he had a big lead to protect. And so he's going to look like a bit of a burke if he goes out there and throws it into the scenery trying to prove something to everybody when he doesn't need to. No, well, when you've got a big points lead, you don't have to put it all on the line. As long as you can finish in the top three, it's like anything. It's all about accumulating points, and that's what you've got to do to win a championship. Murr's a classic example. Won one race, but he won a title because he was up there in seconds and thirds and picking up good points all the time, and that's what the, you've got to do to win a title. Maybe maybe Fabio's got a bit of the suspense rider in him, and he's trying to build up the drama and the tension <laughs> uh, with, a, with a bit of a fade-out toward the end of the season just to open the door for Peko. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> lot, lots of ifs, maybes and buts. Yeah. If Peko hadn't have fell off the race before and if Quadro fell off the next race and the last race, it would have been a lot closer in points and it would have been like a Remy Gardner situation. He would have had to ride round at about 10th to win the title. We do have to be wary of doing what the commentators were doing all season long as well. Like the thing that was annoying me with the commentary was uh, they kept speculating if Fabio had have won all the races leading up to that point, he would have a massive lead. And it's <laughs> like, if anyone had run all the races up to that point, they would have a massive lead. <laughs> it's just, I mean, you know, fair play to those guys. They've got to fill a lot of time with a lot of observation and a whole lot of stuff. But some of the Fabio worship was a bit confusing at times. It was like, okay. Yeah, well, if I hadn't got harm pump, I would have won the race. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he had the, uh, he had his zipper come down. Yeah, well, that should have been a black flag there straight away. He shouldn't have got any points out of that, but... Because it was Yamaha, and obviously the Yamaha had somebody in the top part. Which oh, there's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's always a conspiracy a... Yamaha had it rigged. Well, I don't know about rigged, but <laughs> by the time they worked out what they should have done, the race was over, so I don't know. Yeah, there were a few strong, strident voices that said he should have been black flagged. Well, it's like, to the letter of the rules, he should have been black flagged from the race. Yeah, that's the funny thing. Sometimes they don't run by the rules and these things. They tend to overlook certain things. <laughs> so because Poveraro is now the new Yamaha man, taken over from Rossi, so <laughs> they'll be all out there waving their flags. With, what's he got, number 20 or something on it? I don't know. What did you think of Zarco's fade out? Speaking of French flags and uh, uh, bands and whatnot, yeah. Well, I, I was surprised. I was surprised when he shot out of the start, like a shot. At, I was surprised when he shot out of the cannon at the start. Yeah, like he was absolutely flying early in the season, and I mean between Zarco and Martin, 
I would credit that to the Pramac program. I think mm. Pramac's got one of the best satellite programs in the paddock. And I think he had a lot of benefit from that. But it was strange that he like went nowhere in the second half of the season. Uh, I think he probably lost confidence. And confidence is a big thing in bike racing. If you've got confidence, you've got to have confidence in yourself, confidence in the bike and confidence in the team. And you also got to pick the right tyres. He's one of the true enigmas in the paddock, yeah. Joe Enzarco, because on on his day he looks unbeatable, and then he just goes, it just vanishes. Yeah, um, it's a bit weird. He is. This, um, I don't know what his problem is, but obviously he's got something that's not working right. Because he had the problem with KTM as well. He jumped on the KTM, jumped immediately off it, and then the next season the KTM was quite competitive. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at Binder and um, Oliveira, like. By rights, they could have got halfway through the season and said this bike's no good and jumped off it as well. But they stuck it out and the results are coming around. So, Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how they go next year. Where are they going to get the improvement from is anybody's guess. Maybe the engine will be a bit better and frame will be a bit better. That's the thing as well. Like You think about the level of competitiveness within the field. And the amount of improvement that you need to make. And it is like hundredths and thousandths of a second difference. Like you look at a qualifying sheet and they, they go out there and you go like, oh, this guy's nowhere. He's in 16th place. And then you look at the spread and it's like one second from first to 16th. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's so competitive. Your bike has only got to be 1% out and you're in nowhere land. And that's what happens. Um, you don't have to be very far out in your settings to go backwards which uh jack miller seems to do a bit <laughs> but i reckon jack's got picks the wrong tires now you take it where they both crashed jack crashed and um peco peco crashed why would you change to a hard tire on the grid when the temperature is dropping <laughs> even i and i don't know nothing about it <laughs> I could work that out. I thought, why go from a medium to a hard when the hair pressure's going down and it's getting colder? I wasn't surprised that they both crashed. Well, Jack didn't go far. He only went about three laps and fell over. But That was the race, though, that I think um, part of Jack's problem was that he was riding defensive. Like, that was the race where off the line, he's gone up the inside of Peko. He got off the line like a shot, and then it was he dropped like a stone. And the comp says, oh, something must have happened to Miller's bike. It's like, yeah, something probably flashed up on the dashboard and said, don't go past Peko. Yeah. Like, and then, so then he's trying to play it ride defensive. Like, he looked like he had a little bit more speed than Peko, um, but he had to block Marquez. And trying to block Marquez is no easy feat. No. Because you're trying to ride the tight lines around the corners and not leave a gap. And what Mark Marquez considers a gap is not what most normal people would consider a gap. No, stick it up the inside and knock them the other way. Yeah, so it's it very like uh, it's not surprising that he threw it away on that in that race. Yeah. What what was surprising was that Peko crashed in exactly the same part of the track. Yes, and right near the end of the race, which was and he was leading, so he should have probably backed off a fraction. Yeah, it's all easy to say in hindsight, isn't it? Oh yes, it is. Yeah, well that's it. And Ducati's come second. That's not good enough. I mean, I can't believe it's taken them 18 years to get a 1-2-3, though. Yeah, yeah, that's surprising. So just to wrap up, 
what's your reflections on the season? What's the highlights and highlights? What well, comes to mind? the highlight was probably the Hondas going backwards. Like, I mean, he won at uh, any of the, what are they, anti-clockwise tracks. Marquez can win on them. In America, he blew them into the weeds again. And uh, But then he was riding with an injury. So, so prob- the, sorry, go on. Probably the highlight was Peko coming through and finishing up second. Like, probably halfway through the season, I didn't give him a chance at really doing a great deal that some of the lesser, or some of the better known ones went backwards, like Murr and the Suzuki boys. And um, yeah, it was quite an interesting thing that Ducati's come on in the last half of the season where. The Yamahas were sort of looking a bit iffy there for a while. Well, so, so this has backfired a little bit because I've sprung on you your highlight of the season and you've picked mine. Ah. <laughs> so for me, the same thing. Like, um, it was impressive what watching Marquez show glimpses of the old Marquez, but the real highlight for me was the arrival of, uh, I think, Peko Bagnaya yep. really arrived as a rider and as a force in the championship, and I think he's going to be really hard to beat next year. I reckon I reckon he'll be right at the pointy end next year or else Ducati decide to change something on the bike, That's, which so, has been known to happen. Yes, yeah, true. So um, what would you say was the low light? Probably Jack Miller crashing too much. Yeah, that's a fair one. Probably his start to the season really set him back. Well, I run a tipping contest. <laughs> Here we go with the tipping contest with, again. With my friend... <laughs> Mr. Creek, and uh, yeah, I got to the stage where I wouldn't pick Jack Miller at all. And to make matters worse, he pe- picked bloody Portoraro. So, <laughs> so you lost you lost the tipping contest this year, is what I'm hearing. I lost the tipping contest. He even got a one, two, three. I have had a shocker. And you're not the kiss of death either. So you've missed um, out in both in both regards. Oh, I went. <laughs> I've had about four good years, and last year was a shocker. So your low light was a personal low light. I was, see, I was expecting you would go for something like Marquez's injury or Morbidelli's injury, but the low light of the season was that the guy you picked didn't do what you wanted him to do. Well, that's it. I mean, yeah, probably the low light was uh, Marquez crashing and having double vision and a yeah. crook arm and everything. But, yeah, I mean... I think, I think the thing that... The disappointing thing with Marquez being injured again is it just shows what's at stake for these guys every time. Every time they practice, every time they train, um, they, they have to take risks. Well, that's it. It's a high-risk sport. A lot high, more high-risk than most people think. I mean, you only had to look at last year where, was it Rossi riding along and the bike went over the top and those bikes going everywhere and you'd think... Yeah, and, and I mean, I think I mentioned it before, but that's one of the things that you you have to give credit to Valentino Rossi for bravery, if nothing else. Like, he came into the pits after that, and he didn't look like a person who was likely to go back out of the pits. That's right. Like, his face said to me, it's like, yep, put it on the trailer, boys, we're going to head home. And then he rolled out to rate, to finish the race. It's like, that's some sort of that's some sort of courage on some level. Yeah, it's, it's the thing that, yeah... You want to race, and even though you have some very close calls, I mean, 
As far as I can remember, Valentino had a broken leg, and I think that's about the only major injury he had through his whole career. Yeah, but you have to remember the Simoncelli crash as well that he was involved oh, in. Oh, yeah, that was a, that was shocking. He'd... Like, to ever get back on a motorcycle yeah. again after being involved in that is... And I thought Simoncelli was going to be a real top chance for a year or two down the track for being a bloody winner. Yeah, I mean, you know, shout out to Hitting the Apex documentary, the one with um, Brad Pitt voices. I watched that this season and um, that shows that transition of Simoncelli building up and then flips into Marquez arriving on the scene, Stoner retiring and things like that. And it's a really well put together documentary and it does give you some insight into, you know, how capable that guy was on a motorcycle. Yes, I mean, if I had been Valentino... I wouldn't have probably retired then, but when those bikes were going everywhere, I went off the, that that would have been it. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to handle that. And he was as white as a sheet. And I thought, I don't know. Well, I mean, another question with Quattararo is some guys, they climb the mountain and then then what next? Well, that's it. Like, what do I do now? Like, I've achieved the dream. I, I'm, a good example is Petrucci. You know, I felt like when Petrucci run that race at um, Mugello, was it Mugello? Uh, when, no, maybe yeah. it wasn't Mugello. It was one of the Italian Grand Prix where he went between Divisioso and Marquez, like not just underneath Marquez, but between two of you know two of the all-time greats, yeah. and won the race. And immediately after that, it was like, oh, I'm just yeah, I'm just here to help Dobby win the title now. And it's yeah. like I think, I think Danilo. And it's a lovely bloke too, by all accounts. But I think Danilo, in his mind, had achieved his dream. Yeah. Oh, that can happen. I mean, you can. Win a title in something and uh, next year you come out and you sort of lost the will to really compete. I mean, it's it's so hard that you've got to have the killer instinct and if you're riding a bike, every race you go out, you've got to have the killer instinct to win. Mm. And that, to some people, just once they've achieved what they wanted to achieve... I know from my own experience, I've done the same thing. I used to set a level that when I play in basketball, I got to that level. I never went any further than that. I thought, oh, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. I've got there. It's gonna, yeah, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether what Fabio turns up next season. Yep. Like he's, you know, he's already brought his um, excuse suitcase for the last half of the season in the testing. So, uh, you know, and, you know, fair play to Fabio maybe he's got legitimate concerns maybe Yamaha has lagged a little bit behind in development I mean it's obvious that the Ducatis have improved uh the Hondas according to the timesheets and the guys sitting on them have improved as well so and Yamaha's not known for its excellent track record in developing motorcycles either no they tend to win the title and then go to sleep so yeah but interesting to see how he goes Quattararo next year I'm I'm a Sort of thinking he might slip a little bit. Yeah, well, we put we 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 tried to put the kibosh on him with the kiss of death, and it sort of we had the reverse kiss of death effect because I listened to a little bit of our original podcast this morning, and we we're talking down Quadraro. <laughs> you did say in a couple of years' time he might win a championship, so yeah, um, he wanted a bit earlier. He wanted a bit earlier than we expected, but uh, I, I had him down for the collie wobbles. <laughs> um, which uh, he's, he seems to overcome that this season, but then maybe they've crept back in. It's hard mm. to say. Yes, it'll be interesting to see how they all 
it all shapes up for next season. Yeah, and on on that note, we'll um, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, mm. Thanks for jumping on again. We'll yeah. uh, we'll keep track of how many people listen for you. <laughs> see if see if the binders are still tuned in to see what. <laughs> maybe Darren Binder will be coming looking for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna throw up next season. It'll be a very interesting season. Well, have a bit of a think about it over Christmas and we'll probably reconvene and do another pre- season preview once we see some more testing and um, yes, have, a bit more, have a bit more time to process. Yes, it'll be interesting to see how Gardner goes and his offsider and what they do in the KDM. The interesting thing is Aprilia. I just don't know what's going on at Aprilia. Yeah, we we didn't talk about Aprilia, so maybe we'll hold that we'll, we'll hold that one over. We'll we'll keep track of uh, Maverick and Elation. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about that on the next one. So thanks yeah. thanks for coming along. Yep, no worries. We'll catch you later. Catch gotcha. you.